is Soul Over the Bones, a podcast for rewilding by Liz Glenn. I am joined in this episode by Lisa Tang Lu, American surrealist photographic artist based in Massachusetts for a conversation that has stuck with me. We discuss a variety of topics ranging from returning to art making as reconnecting to soul, belonging, racism during COVID, and even the environmental repercussions of film photography. I hope you'll enjoy this creatively stimulating talk. So thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to talk with you about what rewilding looks like to you. So when you had reached out to me, you told me that you had stopped making art for a while to support your husband's writing career and to be a stay-at-home mom. What did your original art-making days look like before you had to take this hiatus? First of all, Liz, I I love your podcast. I only listened to like one episode of after finding out about it. And I was so moved. Um, oh. I think, I, first of all, I love the concept of rewilding. And I'm thinking that rewilding means to kind of get back in touch with the yeah. wild and yes. your wild nature or. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Love that word. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it really is derived sort of from a Clarissa Pinkola Estes, women who run with the wolves sort of core. Yeah. That's, that's where that was derived from. So. Nice. And thanks for having me. <laughs> of course. Yeah, it's lovely to have you. Um, but anyway, to answer your question, yes. So back in the day, that was like back in, I think, 2004 that we got married. Yep. And okay. so back then I was um, I was running a wedding photography business and I did portraits as well. So I guess in that sense, my creativity was actually business related too. Mm-hmm. And I was um, taking a lot of pictures, editing. So I would do it every day for work. And then I kind of meandered into fine art photography mm-hmm. when I decided to rent a space as a studio and I had these walls. So I invited these artists to show their work with me in the community. And I, I kind of <laughs> opened up my um, interest in creating more art uh, for art's sake and not necessarily to get paid. And so I actually did some painting as well. I did a, a lot of drawing as a kid. So it was really nice to get back in uh, at that time. So that was the early 2000s. I also took some classes at the New England School of Photography for fine art and used their dark rooms and did a lot of printing then. Mm. Um, the school is now closed. So did that for a while and it, it got kind of far for me too after we sure. moved. So, but anyhow, that, that was what it looked like. <laughs> it would be like working with clients, creating art, and also doing a lot of admin for the gallery and going to the darkroom and try to learn more about fine art photography, the craft. Yeah. You said you did a little bit of painting too at that time. I did. Okay. Was that like also in a studio or was that just something that you would do at home kind of in your free time? Pretty much at home. Yeah. yeah, in my free time. And I mean, so much free time than before kids. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, I totally understand that too, especially homeschooling, which we will get into in a little bit. But I actually used to homeschool my daughter as well. Granted, I only have one child and I feel like 
that's so much simpler because their curriculum is so tailored to each of them that it's almost as though you're running separate classrooms for multiple kids. I've had friends who are homeschool moms and I just admire them so much. It's incredible the amount of work and preparation that goes into that, but I digress. So with painting, was that more of the business side, the admin side where you were selling paintings, or was that more, as you said, making art for art's sake, sort of just the creative process and something that also helped to feed your creativity? Definitely the latter. I think I created paintings really not with the intention to really sell them. Like I I, I would create them and I would be so attached <laughs> that I, yeah. I wouldn't want to sell them. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I did enter them into exhibitions and stuff. And I, I wouldn't call myself a serious painter. It's more like a lot of it was based on my photography too. And I got more into concepts at that time. Okay. Um, yeah. I'm curious about that. So how did your painting sort of lend to your photography and vice versa? Like how did one inform and inspire the other? I think having seen other artists work or painters, being involved in various shows and, and everything, I I got a lot of inspiration that way. And I wanted to express something that I felt photography couldn't express. Yeah. Um, and I <laughs> started the series called American Icons. So I, I'm an immigrant. I came here when I was nine. And I think like all my life, I've been trying to figure out like, what does it mean to be American? And so my series, the, the vision is this, that I would create a, a series of paintings that are based on very pixelated, they're, it, it, they're almost like transposed photographs of mine that I took, original right. photographs that I took, broken down to pixels, and I would, I would paint them. So they're 16 by 20. So up close, you wouldn't be able to see what the picture is, but you have to step back to, to see what it is. And, and I thought it was kind of interesting because my, my background was actually IT. I, I was in the corporate world and I worked in IT for seven years after graduating from college before I went into photography. So I thought icons, like as in the icons on a computer, mm. they're pixelated, you know, if you enlarge it. So I was thinking that that up close is really hard to see what what does being an American icon mean? What What is being an American? So... That, that's the vision. And I, I actually took a long break of, from it after creating one that actually got into quite a few jury shows. But now I am jumping back in. So that's like one of my goals with 2024 to continue the series. That's incredible. That just sounds amazing. I mean, at first, when you say pixelated, that does sort of conjure to mind a computer, a computer screen, sort of these like artificial screens where like if you look really close, you can see the different pixels that individually don't really have any meaning, but all together, stepping back, you get this greater picture. I also think it's really ambitious of you to define for yourself what America is, because I mean, I think that that's just an important thing to you. And I think that that would translate well to other people that they would see sort of that journey of yours as well. But what a difficult thing to try to define for yourself, you know? So that's, that's incredible. So 
That was before, that was before you had taken this hiatus. Well, before I go on, I'm curious. So you said you started off in IT and then you sort of segued into art. Was there a transition or has, you said you drew when you were younger, you've always been artistic. So was there like a specific time where you were like, I need to leave the corporate world behind and move on to this new artistic world? Yes, I think all along I hadn't been really enamored with the corporate world like i i i did it for money to pay back my school loans uh, and i had a lot of school loans and you know even in high school i had an art portfolio and i submitted my art portfolio to get into college but i didn't choose an art school and because my parents would hate that <laughs> would have hated it yeah. and and um so i had to do something like responsible <laughs> study some computer science here and there and um uh, and got into the corporate world. Uh, photography, as far as photography goes, I didn't actually start until right, right around 1999. I bought a film camera, uh, like a real, I think I always had a, a good eye for composition, but when I decided to really learn photography, I started out buying this SLR camera, which I just found recently, <laughs> the original camera I got. Mm. And, um, I took some classes at the adult center in Cambridge, Cambridge Center for Adult Education, I think. And that was when I, I learned about the whole film development and darkroom process. Okay. Um, so my that was my first knowledge of real photography was from film. Yeah. Yeah, that's incredible. And I think, I mean, depending on the age of the person using cameras, that's kind of what I started out on because that's what we had in the 90s, we didn't have digital cameras, at least my family didn't have digital cameras at our disposal. So I didn't have like an SLR or anything. I just walked around with a little point and shoot and would have like four by sixes developed. But I never once considered art as a valid career to pursue. I mean, we took so many different like placement tests and career tests, and that was never even an option, right? I mean, mm -hmm. I think the closest thing what I had been placed in was journalism because I also enjoy writing, which is another sort of creative outlet. But I had never once considered that art could be an actual career path for me. How is your parents' relationship to your art and your career path now, if you don't mind sharing that with me? Oh, yeah, I don't mind. I, I'm a little estranged <laughs> with my dad, but uh, my mom is actually very supportive. Like, she actually helped me hang a show recently. Uh, I had a show at the local library, and she was she was really helpful helping me hang. Like, early in the morning, we got into the library. And <laughs> and so that was that's really nice. Uh, I think she's mellowed out. She knows that I won't starve to death, and I can take care of myself. Yeah, I think I've proven that. <laughs> yeah, and that must be so healing for you too to have that sort of blessing. Not that we need our parents' blessings to do what we were meant to do, but I do think that there is another sort of culture. People who immigrate to the United States have this dream for their children, and I can't speak to it personally, but from my understanding is that to choose something like improv or art or it just feels like I'm giving you this new life, this opportunity, do something responsible or practical. This is an air quotes so that you can provide for yourself and take full advantage of this 
American dream or whatever, but I actually would endeavor to say that the American dream is exactly what you're doing, living your life and your truest passions and what calls to you. That's very eloquently put. Yes. And I think it is hard for that generation of immigrants, especially if they come from a working class background, which my parents were, even though my husband's family, they come from more of an academic background. He, him wanting to pursue a career in writing, he majored in literature in college. And so that was like, oh, the rebel child. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so that was a struggle for him as well. Yes. Yeah. It's a completely different standard that you're held to, right? Definitely. Where it's not just enough to go to college or to whatever, but you also need to be in a corporate career or climbing the corporate ladder or whatever. So I commend you for following your dream and your intuition and your passions. Thank you. It's been lovely to see the result of that. So let's move to the next portion of this story. So What was the tipping point that told you that you needed to step away from your art making? We had discussed your early days that art has sort of been something that you have carried with you throughout your life since childhood. It was a very active part of your life. And then there was a point in which you needed to take this long hiatus. So what was the thing that sort of made it obvious to you that you needed to step away for a bit? I think the most pressing thing was really finances. That was one thing that we, I was actually making a departure already uh, when we were searching for a home. We were renting when I had the gallery space, the studio gallery space. And I was like, okay, this, this is definitely a labor of love and I'm not making money and we're going to buckle down and have kids. And I, I need to think about finances this is not the way to go. And so I was like slowly making a departure from that, but I was still painting or doing other things at home, um, taking some fine art photography and trying to submit to shows, but it, it just wasn't, you know, translating to money. And I knew it wouldn't, but I was like, okay, I, I, I think I need to slow down. And digital also came around and I was doing more and more in digital and I, I didn't feel the same. I didn't feel the same passion or connection to it. And then uh, I had kids. (laughs) With one baby, I think I was still doing some work here and there, portraits and uh, some fine art photography. But when the second kid came around, my, my second daughter was born, my husband's career was really taking off then. But he was still holding a full time job. Right. world. And we knew that we wanted to get to a point where we would have more financial freedom so he wouldn't have to worry about, you know, paying the bills and paying the mortgage. (laughs) And so we're like working to really just have more financial freedom so he can focus on writing full time. Mm. And he also started traveling more for his writing connections, networking and going to cons. He's a science fiction writer. So it's a lot of cons to go to. And so it was a tough time Mm. because whenever he had free time, it was not really family time. It was really his writing, which is totally understandable. And yeah, yeah. right. It's sort of like your story in reverse. It's like he is wanting to be in that sort of art making space and 
in that creative flow. And yet he's feeling this sort of pressure to provide, to be able to chase the financial aspect, doing something that he doesn't necessarily enjoy the same way that you left art making to be able to sort of do what was financially responsible or viable for your family. It's just such a a difficult walk, but it's interesting how similar your journeys seem to parallel and mirror each other. You're right. They do parallel each other. It worked out pretty well in the end, because right now I feel like he's taking up a lot more of the homeschooling aspect as the kids are getting older. Our kids are 11 and 13 now, and the subjects are getting harder. And oh, yeah. uh, Ken just knows so much that he can <laughs> he can teach the kids. I'm just more of a supportive role right now. Sure. And, and he's very supportive of me uh, jumping back in. Sorry, I'm jumping ahead, but backtracking to to your question. Yeah, when when I took a break, it was it was when I just decided that it wasn't practical to to keep submitting my work to shows when I'm not really feeling it, and that's why I'm getting probably a lot of rejections and and not really uh, making progress. And I was suffering from postpartum depression, which kind of carried on to some other depression too. But yeah, it, it was it was a tough time. But I, I wanted to focus my energy on the kids. Yeah, you had said to me that homeschooling was something you always knew you wanted to do. It was something that was important to you, that you had your mind made up way ahead of time. So when you decided to have kids, that also meant inherently that you were going to be homeschooling, which is so time-consuming and self-consuming it's such a worthwhile and worthy endeavor, like getting to customize your children's learning experience is an incredible gift, but it does take away from that sort of life energy that you have to put toward anything else, especially if art making for you had sort of fizzled out and it was hard for you to connect to that soul place to be able to speak to something that would translate into art that made you excited, that made other people excited, you have to have that like vital life source. And with so many different things like concerned about finances and raising your kids and the time that it takes to be able to be fully present, it totally makes sense that that's kind of where you needed to be at that time. Yes. I, I felt like it was probably the the right thing to do. Was there then a defining moment when you knew you needed to return to art making that sort of call was happening within you? Yes, it was just a couple of years ago when it was during the COVID lockdown, you know, like everyone else, anxiety, depression. I actually started backyard birding. That was a a thing that happened and I, I went on more nature walks because that was like really the only thing to do <laughs> outside. So I did that and got back into photography that way. I need a community. So I jumped onto Instagram and I was very inspired by a lot of the photographers work that I saw. And then I had that itch again to get back into making more art. Yeah. I think it's interesting you bring up birding just because since I used to live in Southern California for four years and just moved back to Michigan where I'm from about two years ago, almost two years ago now, 
last year in the winter, it's sort of something that like naturally came for me as like my attention was drawn to nature and not because of a lockdown, thank God, but just the terrible winters here (laughs) and feeling locked down and feeling like there's not much else I can do. So it's interesting that in these times, we tend to turn to nature. We tend to refocus on what matters. We tend to be more aware and present and grounded because birding was not something I ever foresaw for myself. It was not on my bingo card. And yet learning the language and how to name things and how to recognize the things around me, the trees, the plants, the birds gave me a greater purpose where moving back has been difficult to regain community where I'm basically starting over. But also like in the winter when like right now we're in sub-zero temperatures, there's not really a lot of community and meeting up with other people happening. And so you find that sort of belonging in natural elements. So I find that that's an interesting thing that you brought up. Yes. And it's exactly that. Just feeling like I belong in nature. Like how can you feel like you're, you don't belong in nature when you're just surrounded by, you feel humbled and you feel like, oh, I'm really in touch with the earth <laughs> when when you walk yeah. around and, and just pay attention to these things around you. And it was a very spiritual healing kind of, kind of feeling. Mm. And I, I think it also came at a time when I felt very alienated to, I mean, like being Asian during COVID, there were times like when I'm walking to go shopping with a mask on, I just, I wonder, I'm like, do people just think, assume that I have COVID because I am I'm Asian. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's I... awful. I'm so sorry. That's an interesting Thank thing you. to touch on on that because there was so much misinformation. There was so much misinformation at that time. I mean, there's always misinformation about some group of people or another or different polarizing events where I literally was just reading an article about this and I wish I could remember specifically, but it said that humans have a tendency in extreme times of stress, such as a worldwide pandemic where we're all very scared, where we're all heightened in our senses that we want to create a good guy and a bad guy. We want to create like good and bad. We love to make sense of those binaries, those polarities, because It's what makes sense to us logically and helps us feel like we're in control in a time when we're very much out of control. But that is an awful thing to be told in the media that, yeah, this is a virus that comes from like a certain demographic that comes. It just was awful. The heightened aggression and violence we saw against the Asian community. And I'm really sorry that you had to endure that on top of being in this along with everybody else suffering from the loneliness, the isolation, the depression, the fear that all of us were also going through. Thank you, Liz. And and I think coming out of that, I paid more attention to, I guess, my my role in the world also. And that's that's something that I am trying to work out in my art right now. 
Mm, that's really interesting. It's really interesting because if I'm tying together these threads, so you told me that when you were painting, you were creating this work of art of what does America mean to you? What does your place in America look like? Mm -hmm. And now it's a similar vein and yet a little different. What is your place in the world, in the family of things? as you're reconnecting with nature to help with sanity, just to stay present, to have an outlet, to commune with something greater than yourself. And also where do I even fit in, in the world? I think that that's so powerful. Thank you. And a lot of the reading that I had done over the pandemic also inspired this as you were talking about the land and nature, I have to bring up Robin Wall Kimmerer's Braiding Sweetgrass, I, I, mm -hmm. I read that and I, I was so inspired just feeling, yes, if you love the land and you take care of it and you you have that connection, like who is to say that I don't belong here? Mm. And I just felt like very belong after, after reading that. Sorry, I'm like tearing up because <laughs> I was really moved by the book. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you're sharing this. And I appreciate your vulnerability a courageous thing to be vulnerable and to share that. And I appreciate that. I think that's a really beautiful perspective. I actually got a copy of that book from my mother-in-law for Christmas. I've listened to the audiobook, but I feel like I am more of a visual learner and I need to be able to like touch the pages and highlight. And I'm really excited to dig deep into that again, because it is such an incredible book, especially I don't want to say that it can't be benefited from anywhere, but living in Michigan, it really is such a natural wooded place. It feels kind of rural, especially compared to Southern California. And to be able to have like, I don't know, I feel like in California, it was just so easy, right? You're like, a couple miles from the ocean, the beach. It's just like everything's beautiful. You have everything at your fingertips. It's so easy to love. Whereas in places that are maybe not quite so connected to commercialism, consumerism, the things that are so easy for us to like numb our boredom, we can connect to something that is even more important on a soul level. And that's connecting with the earth, which is something that we can do and we can have at any time and in any circumstance, especially even, you know, during a pandemic, like we're talking about. Mm -hmm. So what importance do you place on art making now, now that you have sort of answered the call to start creating again? I'm curious, and I'll go ahead and just put all of these questions out at once. So what importance do you place on your art making? How does it help to anchor your days? And does it help you to connect to your soul place? Well, I think art is very important to me now. I think for a while I hesitated to call myself an artist and I now call myself an artist. Mm -hmm. I wake up and I think about how to make progress in my art. I'm forming stuff like conceptually because I kind of want to move toward more conceptual art and I'm doing like little bits here and there to try to get there. But in the morning, I, when I wake up, I do think about art, like what am I going to do today to help that along? 
I'm not very good with task initiation. So a lot of the times I just like brew things in my head, but it still helps that I'm, I'm keeping that in my consciousness. So definitely art is very important. I'm taking more initiative to write about art. I just signed up for this writing about art workshop with Ellen Spring oh, very uh, through cool. the Griffin Museum of Photography. So yeah, I just became a member again. Uh, I'm, I'm joining memberships through these art organizations to get back out there, trying to attend more art shows to be inspired, to open my mind to different ways of making art and studying other artists' work, feeling inspired by them, how they express themselves. So yes, art is, is definitely very important to me. Right now, like every day I wake up and I think about art. So that's that's one thing. And then it definitely helps me get in touch with that soul place. So definitely that's a yes. Because in studying all this art, I'm also trying to figure out a way to, to kind of heal myself and to you know, try to figure out where I am in the world and how to, what my role is in the world in this time that we're living to try to make sense of it, to anchor myself in the world, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting because there's always that creative question that we're encouraged to ask ourselves, like, what is our why? What gets us out of bed in the morning? What do we focus on when we get up and just hearing that art is that thing for you, that sort of creative fire, that fuel that powers your days. That has to be such a powerful experience to have that propel you back into art making. You were saying that you have been taking some self portraits and returning yes. to your roots of using film. Could you tell me a little bit about that is is taking these self portraits sort of a way of connecting with yourself and figuring out where your place is in the world like you've been talking about definitely i think for a while and a lot of it has to do with i mean it really went back to the days when i was growing up i i came to america when i was 9 and trying to just become american you know to be assimilated and what does it all mean having moved to a almost all white neighborhood like I wanted to fit in for a long time I I didn't want to look Asian and for a while I became more comfortable as an adult looking Asian then COVID came and then I honestly for a while like on Instagram I didn't want to show my picture mm. um, of myself and for a while I, I had a, a tough time just even showing a picture of myself because I didn't want people to have this judgment like before they got to know me which is I don't know there's there's a lot to unpack there but <laughs> I'm not gonna dive in and then I I also I'm aging I'm I'm right now 51 so at age 50 I was like you know I'm going to try to get more comfortable getting in front of the camera and just I guess facing things that I'm ashamed of so mm. I wanted to do these things so that's that's part of my journey to do that. I don't know how to really tie it in yet to a body of work that I want to express like all this. I, I don't know how to go about doing it yet, but I'm kind of just dipping my toes in there. And in the meantime, I set up this page last year called Self-Portrait Salon. And I am really enjoying other artists, other self-portraitists work. And 
including yours. I love your work. <laughs> and I feel so inspired because I feel like the self-portraitists I happen to gravitate toward, they, they have something meaningful to say about themselves or the world. They're not necessarily expressing, I think, something about themselves, but sometimes about the world through themselves. So I, I think it's just all so creative and, and interesting. So I've been kind of, that's been really inspiring me a lot. Yeah. What I think is really interesting is that we're always trying to find a way to monetize our art. I mean, that's just practical, right? Yeah. It would be yeah. ideal to make money doing what we love. That would be the dream, right? And yet so often then we find our different practices difficult because we're looking at ourselves and our self-portraits and we're saying, how can this be useful to my art? How does this inform my art? How can I translate this into something meaningful or something lucrative? And I think even just having a creative practice, whether that's in writing or meditation or yoga or self-portraiture or painting, or I could list every creative medium and process under the sun. I think even if those are things that we are not making money off of, that we're not able to sell, it still fills up our creative cup in a way that gets used toward something else. I feel like no creative energy is ever wasted. Yes, that's very well put. And I'm going to quote Amy Elizabeth, everything's about everything. <laughs> mm, I love that. She's been such a great influence on, on me. I took a workshop with her for self-portraiture and that's been very helpful. Her self-portraiture is really incredible too. Yeah, such an inspiration. Yes. And I had her on last year for an interview as well. And it was great to get to know her a little bit better. I mean, we have gotten familiar through this like parasocial Instagram relationship where like I've connected with other film photographers. And yet until you actually sit down face to face and like talk with someone, you're like, I don't really even know this person. So it's so great to be able to have this podcast as a means for discussing creativity, for generating ideas and for connecting with community, which is something that I also dearly long for, especially in a creative realm. But it's difficult also, like you were saying, there needs to be a balance where you're being inspired by other people's artwork and yet taking time away from Instagram and from scrolling and from comparison. Do you find that you struggle to keep your voice pure if you spend too much time on Instagram looking at other people's works of art and creations and projects and all of the things? Definitely. I mean, I, I see what's popular and I feel like while, you know, I understand why certain things are popular and I, I see the draw and like certain beautiful things are popular and it makes me want to do that thing because it's well-liked. Yeah. But then I have to kind of really, really tear myself away and ask, is that what I really want to do? Is that me? Am I being true to myself? Or do I just want the attention? Yeah. So I think that's always a very hard question. Yeah. Well, I think it's good that you have sort of that criteria that you're able to put your questions through. 
is this for me? Is this what I actually want to be saying? Is this what I want to be doing to be able to focus and find on the other side of it, whether that's true, if that's actually what you want to be doing, or if it's just this sort of, I don't want to say peer pressure. And yet that's kind of what it feels like. It's not like anyone's pressuring us except the algorithm. I feel like we are constantly trying to become almost like IT people in that we're like behind the scenes trying to figure out the software programming and how to use the right words and how to use the right images or content to be able to even meet people to have that community in the first place. It's like, we're not really able to just be artists. We also have to be marketers. Marketers. Yes. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Which is definitely not my forte and it's so difficult, but on the most popular photo sharing platform, how do you shy away from that and expect to still have that same community, that same enormous pool of people to be able to connect with? It's just sort of taking the good with the bad, I guess. It's a learning curve, but I think it's really important that you do have those questions that you're sort of able to center yourself on and run your practices through to see if that is true to you and what you want to be doing and being intentional in that. Trying, <laughs> not always succeeding, but <laughs> sure. Yeah. It's a, it's a process for sure. Do you have any specific projects you're currently working on that you would like to discuss? Besides a painting project that I, I mentioned, I know I'm kind of all over the place because like when I'm, it's my ADHD. <laughs> so like when oh. I'm talking, I'm just yeah. not succinct so it's it's it it helps me to write everything down first for sure Um, but no you are great I also have ADHD so I can completely understand (laughs) (laughs) I think it's probably very common among artists right I mean um besides a painting project that I'm going back to I am currently working on a joint project with my friend Dave Tabor he's out in Arizona and we've never met in person either it's it's just through Instagram He's like a Holga person. I'm a Holga person. And I was like, hey, you know, it would be kind of cool if we see how these two places, Arizona and Massachusetts, would fit together with all this stuff going on in our country, like, you know, Arizona being a very red state, Massachusetts being a very blue state. And the climate is so different too, right? We um, Woodlands versus desert. So just polar opposites. I'm like, it'll be kind of interesting to see how that works together. And also, you know, with AI being more prominent in the background and going back to film, mm. this medium of just kind of breaking away from virtual reality and, and actually having something tangible as a medium, as a tool to do art, photography, especially. I thought that was going to be like an interesting experiment. <laughs> yeah. I really love the nostalgia of I mean, all things. I mean, I'm like a sucker for like all things like 60s and 70s. And yet having film has just been like the ultimate expression of my photography. I feel like I searched so long for what was going to work for me and finding film, a tangible, physical thing that like the light is actually painted onto has such a poetic meaning. And I think 
it's difficult to connect to the importance and the meaning of that in an AI world because mm. nowadays it's just what's the best way to create like a perfectly airbrushed looking person or an interesting sort of, I don't know. I just feel like all the AI pictures I see are like something outlandish that you could never actually like put together in a styled photo shoot that you're able to just sort of conjure these things up. And yet what's so important to me in my art making and the reason why I love film so much is that it is so organic and authentic and it really does sort of deny all of the like film look, which I do not shame anybody for trying to achieve a film look. I think if I could achieve it the way that I wanted to, maybe I would have just shot on digital and used presets and overlays and had a film look or used filters or whatever, instead of actually using film, which is so terribly expensive. But it's just not as soulful as I want it to be any other way. I completely agree with you. There is something to that tangibility. Although part of me also struggles because I feel like, am I creating a problem for the environment <laughs> by yes. using film too? Like, uh, so that, that part of me always struggles because, I mean, I love nature and I, I would want to do anything I can to protect nature. So I do have qualms about using film. Like what can we do to minimize the, the damage? And I, when I develop my own film, my chemicals that are harmful, I, I never pour down the drain. I would always like store it in a, a separate gallon jug so I can bring it to the community hazardous trash day. And so like, I, I try to do my best for it. So I just wonder whether there's like something maybe in the future that someone in the film community can think of a solution to minimize these problems. Yeah, absolutely. That is massively important. And I think there needs to be a greater conversation around this because I mm. also strive to be more environmentally minded. And it's so true that you feel like you're doing this thing, this old fashioned vintage historical thing. And like, we sort of associate these new technologies to be what's contributing to climate change. And yet, actually, it's some of the things that were created that weren't really environmentally aware or mindful or conscious that we need to now come up with modern solutions for. I think it would be a really cool thing to create a conversation around this and to figure out another solution actually as you I would love to hear more yeah yeah maybe we should come up with something like that and figure out a way maybe there's other people who have solutions that have worked for them I'm just not aware of any I don't know anybody nearby who has recycling knowledge to be able to like focus on how to properly dispose of film canisters I mean granted I have never developed my own film it's something I've always wanted to do but I always end up just sending it to the lab but then what does the lab do with it I'm curious if there are specific labs that are mindful of these things I'm sure there yeah. has to be right I would love yeah. to believe that there are I'm curious about this and I'm really grateful that you brought up that topic as well that's a really thank interesting you yeah, yeah I'm, I'm glad to have this conversation because like that's always been kind of on my mind. And I, I love that you are a nature lover, too. <laughs> I know that some 
folks have been using caffeinol instead of regular developer. So they actually use like instant coffee as a developer for their black and white film. That's、um, incredible. I haven't tried it. I I really should try it. I, I'm very intrigued. I think the tones are different, so I think you have to have that look. And I have a good friend who used to go to the New England School of Photography with me. She's actually the one who introduced me to the Holga back、okay. in the early 2000s. But she has actually stopped using darkroom development, and she does cyanotype, which is a lot more environmentally friendly. She does other alternative. Printing processes that are more environmentally friendly. Fixers like、mm, I, you just can't pour them down the drain. It's just not not a good idea. So I know the labs they have to follow the law, environmental law that dictate what they do, and so I think they're able to dispose of these things a lot more responsibly、okay. for the most part. And I think there's some reclamation of reclaiming of silver from the solution in the fixer,、okay. also. Based on what they do, I don't know. I don't know exactly what they do, but I think it's it's probably better to do it in bulk in some sense. And I hope that a lot of the people out there developing their own film will dispose of their fixers more responsibly too. I don't know. I don't know what they do. I never really have this conversation with people, so I'm glad to have this conversation with you. <laughs> yeah, no, it feels like a conversation worth having. It's something I haven't really spent a lot of time thinking about. But as we're talking about it, I'm like, yeah. There's got to be a better way to like recycle these things and to dispose of them properly because clean drinking water, especially, is not something that is going to be. It's not promised to everybody, and it's also not something that's going to be around forever. I mean, one of the things that we're sort of looking at is this crisis of clean drinking water in the future. And as we're talking about this, you're saying that I'm a nature lover, and that's true, but I. I'm trying to be more conscious of not just creating a better world for myself to enjoy, but having a world left over for our children and our children's children. And and even if I wasn't a mother, I would hope that I would be mindful toward future generations and creating a better world or a world at all to exist on. And also, this ties into photography in the way that, at least for me, it feels. Like such a strong pull to be creating heirlooms, to be creating proof that I exist, to be telling my story, to be creating a historical document of this is what the world looks like right now. This is what it felt like. This is my story, and passing that on and not disappearing. But as we're using these things, the irony is that it could be contributing. To not having a world left for anybody to even enjoy these heirlooms that we're passing down, to not have the means to even like access these things, which is the whole—it just feels like such an interesting cycle that we're creating for ourselves. And that's just、yeah. something I've never considered before. Talking with you, I really appreciate the thought-provoking conversation that we have been able to have. Where can listeners get more of you? Well, my main account on Instagram is expert in nothing. So expert, period, in, <laughs> period, nothing, and it's my general account. And I, I have like birds and flowers and film and digital, <laughs> um, all beautiful things. Thank you.、Um, and then I have a very specific Holga account,、uh, and that's all my Holga cameras, toy cameras. Yeah, then that's called. Pigmentia underscore 
Olga, and that's P-I-G-M-E-N-T-I-A underscore Holga. That's my other main account. And then, um, as mentioned before, I created this self-portrait salon where I showcase different self-portraitist work. And I uh, I co-curate it with a friend who's in France. But the handle of that account is self.portrait.salon. Well, and also my, my website, oh, sorry, it's lisatanglu.com. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much for being on Lisa. This has been an incredible conversation and I so appreciate your vulnerability and the thought provoking ideas and topics that you have brought today. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Liz. Mm-hmm.